Sandra Winchester here with Autumn Privet and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 42, where we're talking about Inside Out and Back Again by Tanha Lai and Whereas by Lily Long Soldier. Welcome back, Kendra. Well, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be back. I am really excited to talk about these, uh, well, and not poetry collections, but poetry collection and poetry novel. Yeah. And I think... I think this is usually the point where we say something about whether or not there are spoilers in this episode. But since it's a poetry collection, I don't really know that you can spoil it. Yeah, and and, and since it's like a poetry novel, it's you can't you can't really spoil them per se. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if you're worried because you haven't read either of these poetry collections yet, don't worry. It won't. It's not going to. It might actually make you want to read them more. So. Yes, it's definitely the experience. Yes. Of, of and we're going to be reading poems too, so you can get kind of get a flavor for what they sound like. But now I'm kind of ranting, so why don't you take it? <laughs> uh, so the first book we're going to talk about is the middle grade poetry novel Inside Out and Back Again by Tang Ha Lai, and this is up from Harper. And this came out in, I believe, 2011. At least that's when she won the National Book Award for it. So it has to be somewhere around there. <laughs> This is an amazing novel, poetry novel, about a girl named Ha and how she leaves Saigon at the end of the Vietnam War. She flees with her family uh, to America, and it talks about her journey there. And I found this book because my first job out of college was collaborating with a Vietnamese American man on his memoir, and he's a refugee from Vietnam, and he wanted to tell his story. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll look up other narratives. And at the time that I was looking, there were not a lot. The Sympathizer hadn't come on the scene. T. Bowie's memoir wasn't there yet. And there was mainly just Inside Out and Back Again. And so I found it, and I read it, and I just cried because it was basically the child version of the story that I had been hearing uh, for you know, six months to a year and a half of working with um, the man I was working with and then finding the story. And she took all of those really intense themes and made it appropriate for children and wrote it in a poetry novel. And she just made it look really easy. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's so beautiful. Well, and as someone who's read the book that you helped edit, I really did feel the parallels between the two. Yeah, yeah, and just the story of the book that I worked on, it was about a man who was one of the boat people, which is the Vietnamese refugees would flee via boat and try to get to Thailand or a different neighboring island and try to flee there. So in this particular one, Inside Out and Back Again, they're actually picked up on the water, and they're picked up fairly early, but it was actually about 10% of refugees in between 75 and 85, like 1975, that were actually picked up. So it's just like a miracle that Tanhalai made it. And so this is a novelization of her story. So it is autobiographical, but it's not the exact story. So the first part of the novel is Saigon, where she's in Saigon with her family during the end of the Vietnam War. And then part two is at sea, while they're adrift on the boat with a bunch of other refugees. And then the last one is coming to America. So I think it's like Alabama or something. Uh, it's, it's really a beautiful story. And it's just something that I think is great, especially for middle readers. I remember um, my mom introduced me to um, when we during World War II when we America bombed Japan. And I was just so shocked to learn about this. And she was able to use children's literature to introduce this difficult topic to me as a kid. And I think you could use Inside Out and Back Again as a similar way to introduce discussions of the Vietnam War and Vietnamese refugees to middle readers as well. Especially because it's from someone around their age too, which I think helps. 
Yeah, definitely. And last time we talked about this, Autumn, we talked about how you had never read a middle reader poetry novel. So what did you think of this one? I really was surprised at how like and not like poetry it was at the same time because I kind of forgot as I was reading through the poems that it was a poetry collection because it was reading so much like a novel but I did think before we even talked about this about halfway through it how this would be a great introduction to really anybody but especially younger kids giving them an entryway into poetry in a way that's accessible in a way that's easy to understand in a way that's a coherent narrative which is just really easy to wrap your head around. So you don't have to, like, because you can focus on the narrative, it somehow frees you up to pay attention to the structure, maybe? Or maybe it's the opposite? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you. The, the story really helps bring you together because your brain likes to use stories to help explain things. And I think by using the story structure in these prose poems that you can see all the intricacies of the poem, but also your brain can follow this narrative along and it just helps helps you make sense of things, especially if you're not used to reading poetry. So, so we recently read The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie, and in that one it's a similar kind of thing where it's a story, but you're having to pay attention to the illustrations and the style and all this kind of thing. And this collection, I feel like, is kind of similar in the sense of it is one coherent narrative and sure you're following the story but you also are paying attention to how she structures it and what the titles are of the different poems and it does use a different muscle as we talked about last time and there are a lot of other middle grade poetry novels out there uh, brown girl dreaming by jacqueline woodson out of the dust and love that dog all of these books deal with very very difficult themes for children to understand such as grief or racism or ones about the dust bowl um, and so I think by using poetry and by using the narrative, it kind of cushions these ideas and these concepts so that kids can better wrap their brains around it. And I think for me as a reader, you know, reading the poetry, it, they're such short, like, poems together. It's not like The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner where it's like one continuous, like, long thing. It's these little short poems that are almost like chapters. And so you're able to contain it in these little segments and it's easier to digest, I think. I just really love this as a form. It's definitely a favorite of mine. Absolutely. Did you want to read some of your favorite poems? Yeah. So the entire book is set up like a diary. So it's a present tense diary that Ha is writing from the beginning of the new year to the end. So it covers a year in her life. So this first one is when they're at sea and they're running out of water. And so she's talking about her obsession with water, but being surrounded by water um, you know, water, water, every day, wherever, not a drop to drink. That's what I keep thinking about. Yes. Um, so anyway, this poem is entitled Once New. Water, water, water everywhere, making me think land is just something I once knew, like napping on a hammock, bathing without salt, watching mother write, laughing for no reason, kicking up powdery dirt, and wearing clean night clothes, smelling of the sun. Mm. And I think it's just the idea of her sitting on this boat with a bunch of other refugees with nothing to do and just sitting there so much time. All you can think about is the water you're thirsty for and you're seeing the water all around you, but you can't drink any of it. And just what she does in this little poem, she references water, water everywhere in the front top of the poem. So she's referencing past poetry. She's talking about uh, some imagery she used earlier in the uh, novel about her life in Saigon and how much she loves Vietnam and uh, like something as simple as wearing clean night clothes smelling of the sun. I think that's the thing too is I was almost surprised at how vivid the mental pictures were 
as I was reading these because there's so few words on the page if you look at them. There are, and there, she, you can't, obviously you can't see it hearing our voices right now, but she uses space as well in the poems and she creates these little segments and so that it kind of contains the ideas. You know, you have these sections and then you have the chapters and then you have these segments within a single poem. And she kind of just breaks it all down that way, which is, as one who loves organization, <laughs> I was very impressed. <laughs> one thing that I didn't notice until I was re-reviewing the book before we were recording this episode is that there's a poem titled Feel Smart that's very early on on page 19. And then there's one on 156 called Feel Dumb. And I was going to read both of those just to kind of show how she, how she parallels these two experiences. Feel smart. This year, I have afternoon classes, plus Saturdays. We attend in shifts so everyone can fit into school. Morning's free. Mother trusts me to shop at the open market. Last September, she would give me 50 dong to buy 100 grams of pork, a bushel of water spinach, five cubes of tofu. But I told no one I was buying 99 grams of pork, seven-eighths of a bushel of spinach, four and three-quarter cubes of tofu. Merchants frowned at Mother's strange instructions. The money saved bought a pouch of toasted coconut, one sugary fried dough, two crunchy mung bean cookies. Now it takes 200 dong to buy the same things. I still buy less pork, allowing myself just the fried dough. No one knows, and I feel smart. So that poem is from when they're still at Saigon before they leave. And then after they come to America and move to Alabama, we have this poem called Feel Dumb. Miss Scott points to me and then to the letters of the English alphabet. I say ABC and so on. She tells the class to clap. I frown. Miss Scott points to the numbers along the wall. I count up to 20. The class claps on its own. I'm furious. Unable to explain, I already learned fractions and how to purify river water. So this is what dumb feels like. I hate, hate, hate it. Feel dumb st stood out to me when I read through this the first time just because I think that that's an experience that we don't hear about and that people, it's easy to kind of overlook how you're reacting. You might think you're encouraging somebody, but actually you're disempowering them. And I think comparing it to like, you know, she was doing these high, you know, high level fractions and computing to figure out how much money she needed to buy her treats. And now she's in a classroom where she's being applauded for just counting to 20. So I thought that the contrast and the parallel between those two poems was really fantastic. Yeah, I think it really shows a sign as, and for whatever reason in America, the you know the knowledge of English is kind of related to our view of intelligence. So a person can have a PhD but not speak English, and we don't think they're very smart. And it's just like that narcissism that often you know sometimes comes with you know being an American in America and just how she really was very smart and she had to just learn a new language and she had to stop everything just you know to learn the language and just how language plays a part in this book uh, in the she has a spattering of Vietnamese throughout the book but she also talks about learning English and she talks about some weird rules that we have like making things plural with an s but then there are exceptions like deer yes <laughs> and I have wondered the same things <laughs> Oh, English. <laughs> like, why a series of books? Series, even you have multiple series, it's still series. Why isn't it series? I'm confused, and I am a native English speaker. 
Uh, so I, as a nerd, like I just really loved her discussion of language in the book. And I watched an interview with her right after she won the National Book Award uh, for this. And she talked about um, how she wanted to talk about language in a different way because she was trying to learn language and she was able to understand by the body language of the kids yelling at her, they were making fun of her, but she couldn't understand them because they were speaking English. So her goal was to be able to yell insults back at them in English. So she learned English so she could <laughs> yell back at the kids <laughs> on the playground. And just those simple like goals and the need to be able to communicate. And uh, like I mentioned in the last episode, she said she was thinking of Vietnamese, which is, she feels more image language for her. And then she was writing it in English and that came out as poetry and just the use of that translation in her brain and you know she now speaks the two languages together and she says at her family reunions it's like you know how spanglish for spanish and english is kind of like vietnamese english together well that's what she says like her family reunions are it's just fluid like they don't really differentiate as much because everyone speaks everything you know so right i would i would love to see what that would look like on a page but then again i would have to actually know vietnamese um but I'm sure there's an entire segment of, of bilingual novels somewhere. But I really thought it was great with the language. I did too, and I think she shows that struggle with acquiring a language and how frustrating that can be and how, I don't know, just how hard it would be to do that. And I think, you know, something I've been thinking about too is like how most Americans, well, at least that I know, aren't bilingual or and how much intelligence and how much skill it really takes to, to be that way. So it's it's really admirable, and I think she portrays what it's like to try to acquire a new language in a very realistic way. Another thing that I really loved about this book is how she talks about the refugee process for Vietnamese people leaving and requesting refugee status. So even though, you know, the fall of Saigon was in the mid-70s, the refugee camps opened in Thailand and in other, you know, bordering countries into the 90s because a lot of people were waiting to be sponsored by uh, different countries to be able to go to that country. So there's a heavy French influence because Vietnam was colonized by France. A lot of people spoke French, so they would try to go to France or or Canada because they also have French speakers there. Uh, but America was also obviously a very popular place to go. And so we would have to have an American, someone living, an American resident, sponsor the family to come over. And that would be like, I'm going to support this family during their transition kind of sponsorship. So she and her family, Hot and her family, get sponsored by this guy from Alabama. So she talks about seeing him for the first time. And this poem is called Our Cowboy. Our sponsor looks just like an American should. Tall and pig-bellied, black cowboy hat, tan cowboy boots, cigar smoking, teeth shining, red in face, golden in hair. I love him immediately and imagine him to be a good-hearted and loud and an owner of a horse. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love that because it's like everyone's stereotype of an American and he indeed is exactly that. Yes, he really is. So she's really playful with a lot of a lot of that. And um, she has a wide range also of styles of poems from playful to serious to dealing with language to pushing a narrative, the narrative forward with the poem. But also she has these really, lack of a better term, poemy poems. Um, so another one of those that I really loved is called Out the Too High Window. Green mats of grass in front of every house. 
fast windows in front of sealed curtains, cement lanes where no one walks, big cars pass not often, not a noise, clean, quiet, loneliness. And it's the feeling of her life in um, America and adjusting to the difference of the things that she sees. And she records when they're in Saigon a lot of things that she sees there, and it contrasts with this poem where she says, clean, quiet, loneliness. She's so good. Yeah, and she she said in the interview she doesn't consider herself a poet. Which, which I mean, obviously we think she's an amazing poet, so it's just kind of like, really? I know, I know. She does better than I could do. Like most people in the universe can do. Right. So that is the end of our discussion of this book. We, we both, I think it's safe to say, really enjoyed it. And that is Inside Out and Back Again by Tang Hao Lai, and that's out from Harper. And that brings us to our sponsor for this episode, which is Book Riot Insiders. In honor of Insiders' first anniversary, Book Riot is running a special promotion that runs from April 15th through April 30th, and you get a two-week free trial to Insiders Novel Monthly or Annual, and there's no special code required at all. You just sign up for Novel Monthly or Annual, and you get two weeks for free. And Kendra, you're a Book Riot Insider, aren't you? I am, yeah. So when they announced it a year ago, I signed up like immediately. Um, be- I know. <laughs> so we all love Book Riot, and they've had like amazing podcasts, like all the books and Get Booked and the, just the Book Riot podcast. And then they also have a lot of articles and everything. So we use it a lot of for research for this podcast. So when they announced this bonus content that you could subscribe to, I was I was all there for that. <laughs> So I am a novel, that's my level, is the novel subscriber. And so uh, you get like exclusive podcasts and newsletters. They will mismatch like the, co- the co-hosts from the episodes. And so they put random people together and they talk about. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, like Harry Potter. And um, I think Rebecca Shinsky and Amanda Nelson got together and talked about their origin stories, which is which is really fun. They also have monthly swag drawings. And then the Epic level is part of their like insider Slack channel. And so you can go and chat with a lot of the personalities from Book Riot. And they also have like scheduled chats. So like certain people go on and we'll chat with them. And it's pretty cool. And uh, the on different podcasts, you hear them reference it. So they seem to be having a good time. Uh, but those are all actually filled up. But every month they open up. And so you get this email and it says like the spot has opened up and you can sign up if you want. I will say that it is the new release index that really got me signed up for it. Yes, I remember you telling me about this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this index of new releases curated by the one and only Liberty Hardy. Hi, Liberty. Uh, we love her. Yes. She came on the podcast last summer and she curates all of these new books that are coming up and you can flag them and then you can filter them and see, you know, keep track of all the new releases that you're really excited about. You know, we get a lot of questions about where do you find new releases? Because they're not all in one place. No. And this is the place. Right. So this is one of the greatest tools that you can get, I think, as a book lover. It's really accessible and you can sign up and follow along and keep track of all the things. And it's just it is really useful. You have all like the page count, the publisher, the imprint, synopsis, everything is right there. It's pretty awesome. And if that doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. So be sure to go over to bookriot.com forward slash insiders RW to find out more and to sign up for your free two week trial and we'll also have a link in the show notes to make it easy for you to get to that 
And thanks so much to Book Riot Insiders for sponsoring the show. And that brings us to our second discussion book of this episode, which is Whereas by Laylee Long Soldier. And this collection is published by Grey Wolf Press. And just a little bit recap about who Laylee Long Soldier is. She is a member of the Oglala Lakota Nation. And this is her first poetry collection. And it really came out with a splash because... It won the Penn Janstein Book Award and was a National Book Award finalist. And we found out about it first on the National Book Award long list. So there have been already so many amazing things said about this this poetry collection. And we were both really excited to get our hands on it. I really enjoyed this collection, and she is just so amazing, and I was really rooting for her to win the National Book Award. She did not, but she is still a definite winner in my heart. I'm still not bitter. No, no, not bitter at all. As we mentioned, too, the title Whereas comes from the the second half of the book, actually, which I was kind of surprised is the second half and not the first half, but it is a rebuttal to an apology that the United States gave to the Native Americans a couple years ago. And so it was a apology that happened and, you know, apology, I'm using it loosely. It was an apology that happened and she talks about how really no Native American people were present when the apology was given and how it wasn't really publicized or talked about it kind of like slipped under the radar of the public consciousness and so half of this collection is a response to how she felt about that as a native american woman who was watching this unfold on the not so public scene yeah and by doing that she also i felt like she was very informative and she she talked about all the different things that she struggled with that but you have that um poem right there yeah yeah so let me just read the So she starts the section whereas with this introduction, and the introduction says, On Saturday, December 19th, 2009, U.S. President Barack Obama signed the Congressional Resolution of Apology to Native Americans. No tribal leaders or official representatives were invited to witness and receive the apology on behalf of tribal nations. President Obama never read the apology aloud publicly, Although, for the record, Senator Sam Brownback five months later read the apology to a gathering of five tribal leaders, though there are more than 560 federally recognized tribes in the U.S. The apology then was folded into a larger, unrelated piece of legislation called the 2010 Defense Appropriations Act. My response is directed to the apology's delivery as well as the language, crafting, and arrangement of the written document. I am a citizen of the United States and an enrolled member of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe, meaning I am a citizen of the Ogallala Lakota Nation. And in this dual citizenship, I must work, I must eat, I must art, I must mother, I must friend, I must listen, I must observe, constantly I must live. So then she goes into a section called Whereas Statements, and I'm going to read the first Whereas Statement. Whereas, when offered an apology, I watch each movement, the shoulders high or folding, tilt of the head, both eyes down or straight through me. I listen for cracks and knuckles or the word choice. What is it that I want? To feel? And mind you, I feel from the senses. I read each muscle. I ask the strength of the gesture to move like a poem. 
expectations a terse armfold, failing noun thing, I schooled myself in the mirror for holding. Because I learned from young poets, one sends me new work spotted with salt crystals she metaphors as her tears. I feel her phrases, I say, and understand me, and I wonder. Pages are cavernous places, white at entrance, black in absorption, echo. If I'm transformed by language, I am often crouched in footnote or blazing in title. Where in the body do I begin? I just really love her use of language and how she uses language to describe how she's feeling, but also what it means. And she also discusses the importance of language and word choice. And even the placement of the words, because in this whole section of whereas statements where she kind of unpacks how she felt about this apology, which she capitalizes apology, she uses liberally italics, quotes, she has dotted lines. She has words spaced in certain ways. She has them right justified and left justified and paragraphs. And so each section seems to really, how it's written, reflect what she's saying. Her use of the, the style and the language, as you said, the word, every, everything is so incredibly intentional. And I feel like she's using, we talked about last in the last episode how uh, we had another Native American writer who was a grammarian. Well, I feel like Lily Long Soldier must also be a grammarian and at least a punctuation nerd, a grammar nerd, because you can see all of that throughout her poems in a way that some some poets just don't use punctuation or they use it very sparingly. But she kind of like heavily punctuates things, not just to create pauses, but to create meaning as well. Yeah, and I was reading a review in the New York Times, and they talked about this as well, and a quote from them said, Long Soldier reminds readers of their physical and linguistic bodies as they are returned to language through their mouths and eyes and tongues across the fields of her poems. And I think that's true. Like, the act of reading these poems, the way she's punctuated them, really adds a whole other level of meaning. And I'm looking at a poem now where... She redacts certain words in this statement by putting blank brackets in it. And then you turn the page, and there's another whereas statement, and then you see just the redacted words in brackets on the next page. And so you have to go back and kind of piece in, like, so the words that are isolated are like spiritual belief, customs, traditions, beliefs, children, families, languages, practices. And then you have to go back and mirror it to the very governmental kind of language on the previous page. And just the act of like matching those words up is really powerful. I just love her use of form. I could just look at that just all day. <laughs> um, did you want to talk about, speaking of po- uh, punctuation, did you want to talk about your favorite poem? Yes. So the poem, I think, is how you pronounce it, Waponica, though I probably am I'm not right in this, is she uses punctuation, um, in particular the comma, to create space. So I'm going to read this for you. They're separated into sections, and these are prose poems. And so she has a, like a paragraph, and then she has, a, you know, like a spacer and whatever. So this is the third section. And she's talking about commas and the use of commas. And so let's see. So she said previously, so I ask, what else is there to hear? A comma instructs me to divide a sentence, to pause. Uh, The comma is sejura itself. The comma interrupts me with quiet. Father's Day, comma, I am not with you. I stare at a black and white photo of you, comma, my husband in a velvet 
shirt, comma, your hair tied back and your eyes on the face of our sleeping daughter. When I write, comma, I come closer to people I want to know, comma, to the language I want to speak. And so she continues the poem in that way, instead of actually using commas, saying the word comma. And if you work in editing for any amount of time, you get with other editors and you start talking about punctuation. And to illustrate your point in conversation, you will say comma. So it's like, when I am with my friends, comma, I like to talk about punctuation, comma, <laughs> grammar, comma, and words, period. And so you use that in language and when you're talking about writing and editing and just different things. And the way she uses that reminds us why the comma is there. And that's to create a pause in the sentence so we can better separate ideas and understand them. And by saying the word comma, she's noting the importance not of the, the comma, but the space there. And then she asks later in the poem, almost like, why is that space there? Why is that needed? Why am I pausing? Which I think space too is actually another big theme in this book about the spaces that Native American people have been removed from and how space and that history. So I think it underscores that as well. And like all the poems that we've been talking about over the course of these past two episodes, poetry is so much more condensed. And so every single word, and now even I think especially with Lady Long Soldier, like her punctuation and space space that she uses it has so much more meaning to the poem so you can't just sit there and read the words you have to look how it's formed how it's punctuated and stylized and just so many different things i'm really geeking out about this i just cannot stop myself <laughs> i know i know and one of the other poems that really stood out to me is a poem called 38 this is another poem and i'm not going to read the whole thing because it's see it's like four pages long, so I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read the first couple lines and then a couple lines later on. And this really shows like how she uses the style and the placement of the words to get her point across. 38. Here, the sentence will be respected. I will compose each sentence with care by minding what the rules of writing dictate. For example, all sentences will begin with capital letters. Likewise, the history of the sentence will be honored by ending each one with appropriate punctuation such as a period or question mark, thus bringing the idea to momentary completion. You may like to know, I do not consider this a creative piece. I do not regard this, poem, this as a poem of great imagination or a work of fiction. Also, historical events will not be dramatized for an interesting read. Therefore, I feel most responsible to the orderly sentence conveyor of thought. That said, I will begin. You may or may not have heard about the Dakota 38. If this is the first time you've heard of it, you might wonder, what is the Dakota 38? The Dakota 38 refers to 38 Dakota men who were executed by hanging under orders of President Abraham Lincoln. To this date, this is the largest legal mass execution in U.S. history. The hanging took place on December 26, 1862, the day after Christmas. This was the same week that President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. In the preceding sentence, I italicized same week for emphasis. There was a movie titled Lincoln about the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. The signing of the Emancipation Proclamation was included in the film Lincoln. The hanging of the Dakota 38 was not. In any case, you may be asking, why were 38 Dakota men hung? And she goes on to explain what happened. But 
I mean, even that setup, like, she tells you exactly why she's doing it the way she does it. And even in, like, in reading the sentences out loud, you can hear the formality and the seriousness and, like, the focus of the tone of each of those lines. So she tells the story. She talks about, like, why she's using the language that she's using and what happens and what the different words mean. And then we get all the way to the end where she's kind of getting to the, you know, wrapping it up. And she, she says, real poems do not really require words. I have italicized the previous sentence to indicate inner dialogue, a revealing moment. But on second thought, the words, let them eat grass, click the gears of the poem into place. So we could also say language and word choice are crucial to a poem's work. Things circling back again. Sometimes when in a circle, if I wish to exit, I much must leap. So she's, you know, very aware of the words that she's using, how she's using the words, and what the meaning that it conveys, which I think is just magnificent. It is really beautiful. That's another one of my favorites as well. Just everything is just so put together, so solid. Like everything is just so thought out and, and perfect. And I know that I'm going to buy a copy of this one. I actually have Kinder's copy. No surprise there. Um, but if you buy one collection of poetry this year, I would highly recommend it be this one. So that is Whereas by Laylee Long Soldier, published by Grey Wolf Press. And that is our discussion of Poetry for National Poetry Month. It's been a good month. It has been a good month. I, You know... As I mentioned in the last episode, it was with fear and trepidation <laughs> that I launched into this, but I am i feel like I'm a much better reader and a much better person for reading these poems. I think it's always good to stretch ourselves reading-wise and try new things and, um, you know, go out on the limb, literary speaking. Absolutely. So that was our month of poetry for April. So next month is May. So our theme for the month of May is going to be, drumroll, Going places. Yes, and this is one of our broader themes that we are trying to fold into our themes through the year. So this is a wide range of books where we loosely interpret what going places means and we read a bunch of books. Exactly, exactly. And this is another instance where there are many different ways that you can interpret this uh, theme. And at this point, I have not picked all of mine, and I'm still thinking about it. And there's just so many different ways that you could you could take it. So I think it's going to be fun to see what we come up with. I've already started at least one of the books so far. And uh, yeah, it's a, it'll be interesting to see uh, how we interpret it. I think that's part of the fun thing about seeing how our personalities go and what we're reading at the time and different things to see how it goes. So that's one of the reasons why I love these broader themes. Um, actually, Autumn thought of this one, so that's pretty cool. Uh, much kudos to Autumn. Thanks. All the stars. So that's it for this time. Uh, remember, we are now on Spotify. And if you use a particular podcatcher and we're not there, definitely let us know and we'll see what we can do. If you haven't already, you could definitely help us out by reviewing us either on Apple Podcasts or on your, again, podcatcher of choice. So definitely thank you for doing that if you have already. Uh, if you haven't also already seen our newsletter, we review books and have new book releases. When a new Q&A with an author goes up, it, we send it out in the newsletter. You can go check that out. And a special thanks to BookRite Insiders for sponsoring the show. We greatly appreciate their support. Make sure to go check out their free two-week trial of the novel level of BookRite Insiders at bookriot.com slash insidersrw. Uh, and that will all be linked in our show notes. 
So thank you all so much for listening and be sure to join us next time, which will be in just a couple weeks to talk about going places. We figured a lot of people will be traveling on vacation in May, which is a perfect time to talk about traveling and going places. But meanwhile, you can find Reading Women on social media channels at The Reading Women. We're on Instagram, Litzy, Twitter, Facebook. And you can also find Kendra and me and what we're up to at Autumn Privet and at KD Winchester. Thank you all so much for listening and we will talk to you soon. Bye guys. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandep. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.